Gratitude That's my everyday All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee. Uh, This episode is definitely a magical one with my guest, Alex Nelson. He is a true wizard and his grounded presence uh, just really, it's really incredible to be around every time I'm around him. Um, He just really just... It's amazing at holding space and this conversation we have is really impactful. He's able to bring a lot of these concepts, uh, you know, I like to talk about on this podcast, but bring them back down into, you know, practical steps on how to navigate the journey that we're all on. And he does it in a really beautiful way. And I know you're going to get a lot of this conversation. I know I did. Um, You know, he, he opens up about his own journey. Um, I share a little bit about my experiences as well. And um, yeah, I'm super stoked to, uh, to give this conversation to you guys. But first, a word from our sponsors. And by sponsors, I mean the stuff I'm working on because I don't have anybody giving me money to do ad reads just yet. Um, but coming soon, um, what I'm working on now, the Heart Collective is a community built exclusively for former male professional athletes. If it's something you're interested in, If you've played pro sports and you feel lost um, without purpose and you feel like you don't really have anybody to that really understands what the experience is like that you're going through, Um, even if you found success and you just really want to, you know, expand your network, then check out theheartcollective.com. That's H-A-R-T, theheartcollective.com. And also growmotely.com. My wife, Sarah, is launching a job platform for full-time remote workers. It is badass. It is going live very soon. So if you're looking to uh, find a job, a remote job that's full-time, part-time, or you're a medium, small to medium-sized business looking to fill roles to help grow your company and you know, also implement these amazing culture-building tools as well. So go check it out, growmotely.com. Also, I'm really excited about the new podcast me and my wife are launching. It is live. The trailer's live. I think the season goes live really soon, but it's a really unique type of podcast. It's a, it's kind of this reality show audio experience. And the first season is six episodes and it is me and Sarah sitting down having conversations, storytelling about how we first met, our experience through quarantine, uh, our businesses, how we consciously relate and, you know, getting married and having a baby on the way and having a home birth and all the different challenges that we've faced and worked through and really excited to share that with you. So go check it out. It's Love in Life Podcast, L-O-V-E-N-L-I-F-E Podcast. You can go to the website, loveinlifepodcast.com to check out some exclusive content as well. Super stoked to bring that to you guys. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review, rate it, share it with your friends. It goes a long way in continuing to grow the audience and get this you know, positive message from these amazing people out into the world, uh, sharing love and presence and you know, working through the stories that might be holding us back and definitely trying to uh, make an impact any way I can. 
and these conversations have really helped have an impact on me and I know they will have an impact on those that listen. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with my buddy, Alex Nelson. All right, Alex Nelson, what's up, brother? What's up? What's up? Happy to be here. How you doing? Super good. It's a, a blessing to be in Austin and the weather is finally warm now. Yeah, it was a wild week. Were you here when, when everything went crazy? Tail end, yeah. Yeah. I arrived like last uh, Thursday, well, Friday morning, super early. And it was like still like, oh, there's yeah. no water and stores aren't open. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting how quickly we become, you know, the, the weather and, and mother nature can really just take us for a loop and our, our comfort zones get so destroyed. And I remember when our power was out and our water was out, it was like, a simple thing like a warm shower. I mean, our mm-hmm. water heater actually busted, so we're waiting on a mm-hmm. water heater, so we're just taking cold showers right now. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the internet was out, and it, like, makes you think, like, what would the world be like without Wi-Fi mm-hmm. or the internet? Mm-hmm. It's, like, become such an integral part of our reality. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Yeah. I appreciate you. It's really exciting to do these live conversations. Um, maybe introduce yourself a little bit, who you are, and then we can uh, dive into a little bit of your journey and some of these deeper, unanswerable questions, because I... Really excited to get your perspective and uh, and share your wisdom with with the listeners. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so I'm Alex Nelson. I am first and foremost someone who is very much in the process of working on myself and unfolding who I am. Uh, the things that I do as my stories, as my jobs, are facilitate plant medicine ceremonies and work with what you could call life coaching, coaching people one-on-one and helping them manifest their best self and manifest who they're supposed to be. Um, That takes a bunch of different forms, but primarily running people through frameworks like internal family systems, helping them uncover pieces of themselves that are uh, not obvious to them and uh, helping them become who they're supposed to be. These are all things that I do to sort of aim at what is my primary goal, which is to help enough individuals wake up to themselves and to become truly embodied and aware that it causes a ripple to go through society at large and allows society at large to transform. Of course, not only for me doing this work, but many others like me. It's a a personal, very, very core piece of my philosophy that people don't act in evil ways when they're in awareness and when they're present to their inner emotional landscape. And Mm. so the aim of the work is to help people become present to those things within themselves. Because if you're aware, if you're acting out of true awareness, you're almost ever never acting in a way that would cause harm to someone else. Mm. So it's a really, really key piece of my mission is helping people find those access points. Beautiful, beautiful. And we're definitely aligned on that mission um, I think is definitely what the world needs. And in order to heal the world, we first must heal ourselves, um, making the unconscious conscious, as it were. Um, what does it mean to wake up in your eyes? You know, it, it's, it, there's this big thing, like we need to wake up and, you know, just kind of share your, your perspective on what that even means. Yeah, absolutely. So super good question. There's a, first of all, it's a process. It's a process of waking up. So I would say, with the exception of maybe, you know, Buddha or Jesus, there there are no woke individuals mm. on the earth. There are no people who are fully embodied as like every piece of their being is completely in awareness at all times. So it is 
a goal you are aiming at and moving towards, not a destination you are mm. arriving at. Because um, the onion is infinite, right? Exactly. The, I mean, I've been on this journey. I know you have too. And just the stories continue to mm-hmm. unfold into deeper and deeper layers of the unconscious that show up. It's really fascinating. Absolutely. And speaking to what's most present for me right now, um, just through this journey I just went on in Ecuador is becoming aware of how in a previous relationship, I had been sort of looking away from the fact that it was time to transition that relationship. And my sort of little boy energy had been, you know, not wanting to let go of its favorite toy without wanting to be too reductionist. There's a piece of that energy where I was actively finding coping mechanisms to turn away from what was true and what was present. And in doing so, I was doing an incredible disservice to the partner and doing a disservice to myself. Now through some plant medicine work after that, I came into this awareness, like it's time to transition this relationship. Uh Oh, but okay. And that really is what the process of waking up is. It's the process of becoming present to what is true within your inner landscape and being willing to look at it. Mm -hmm. It's being willing to deal with and face the hard truths that may be present. Sometimes they're not easy. Sometimes it's someone that you love dearly, but you know that it would be a friendship or you know that it would be this other style of relationship and you don't really want to look at that. So it's like you have to choose actively. I want to look. I want to see. I want to be aware. And then the practice piece is just reducing the lag time. Um, You know, a lot of people when they're first starting the process, like, well, I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know why I'm feeling the feelings I'm feeling. And as you develop your sort of skill set with awareness, it becomes a quicker and quicker cycle time. So you have an emotion arise, let's say it's anger, and you'll be able to very quickly triage. Okay, that is anger, but really what it is, is I feel an injustice core wound here that is making me feel like someone is treating me unfairly because of these three things. And so the action I'm going to take instead of angry, like, hey, fuck you, is going to be, hey, I feel like you're not treating me fairly in this circumstance because of this. Is that your perception too? Or do you feel like you're treating me fairly in this circumstance? You can kind of bring that presence and that awareness to the conversation and that allows it to go better, but it also allows you to become aware of what is going on internally. Yeah, that's the key, right? Self-awareness. Yeah. Instead of projecting all the emotions you have outside yourself, becoming aware, it's that that metacognition, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking about thinking, you become the observer mm-hmm. of the emotions that are coming up and being able to have an awareness of them and then kind of uncovering where they might have originated from. Mm-hmm. We talked about core wounding, mm-hmm. and we can dive into a little bit about that. But, you know, your, your journey with your relationship. And, you know, I went through a very similar thing. I think it's a very common thing because, you know, humans innately, we want to create comfort Mm -hmm. and it's staying in our comfort zone. And there might be this little whisper deep within our soul Mm -hmm. saying, you know, maybe there's something more out there for you. Mm -hmm. And then there, maybe there's nothing wrong with this relationship, but that little piece of you saying, you know, and then we were talking about earlier too, like how quickly, if you aren't aware, your unconscious will come out and start projecting that little whisper Mm. in a way that might create energetic conflict unconsciously Mm -hmm. where you're actually pushing your partner away in order to force them to do something hurtful towards you. So Mm -hmm. you have a reason to end up breaking it off with them. Absolutely. But being able to do that transition in a conscious way is, is really, you know, it's, it's a very difficult challenge. Yeah. It's a super, you know, especially as you said, when there's nothing objectively wrong 
with your partner is when I think it can be the most difficult. It's easy to have the excuse of like, well, she cheated on me, so we're breaking up. Mm. That's an easier hurdle for most people to clear. But a lot of us are, are operating from this sort of scarcity mentality in Western society that we, you know, we need to get married, we need to do these things and this progression that we're supposed to follow. So if you have a partner who you are looking at and you go, this is objectively a great person. There can be that scarcity of like, okay, if I have to release this because I know it's not what is most true for me, am I being stupid? Am I going to regret this 20 years down the road and be like, wow, I fucked up. Mm. So there's that scarcity mentality piece too. That's a little bit easier when, you know, someone's objectively wrong for you. Mm. Like they're yelling at you and telling you that you're a piece of crap. It's like, okay, cool. I can let you go because obviously you're not serving my highest good. And even a lot of times that's even really challenging because even on top, the layer on top of that is this huge fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. What if I release, even this is a negative, we're in this negative cycle, Mm -hmm. this pattern, it's not healthy. I know this objectively Mm -hmm. in this relationship is not good for me, but what does it look like without this relationship? And that unknown keeps us small, wants us to stay in our comfort zone. Mm. How do we how do we break out of that? Hmm. Well, what you said is interesting because I think most of us, even within that specific example, there's a part of us that's really attached to something that we can blame. Mm. So if you have a partner that's super toxic, it's easy to not be living your life's purpose because it's their fault and it's not your fault. Mm. So there can be that fear of like even in those toxic relationships, like, well, if I let go of this, then I'm kind of responsible for my own shit and I got to figure it out, and that's. That could be difficult for a lot of people to clear that hurdle. I think uh, that's the real first major awakening. You're talking about waking mm-hmm. up. It is really coming to the realization that I am responsible for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, going from that victim mindset, projecting all your problems outside of you, and taking responsibility for what life mm-hmm. you want to live. And I think the longer you go in life without waking up to that, mm-hmm. it becomes more and more challenging because as soon as you do wake up to that and decide, okay, and a lot of times it takes a really traumatic event to like yeah. wake you up, right? Absolutely. A dark night of the soul. But when you come to that realization, you automatically all of a sudden have to be flooded with all of the decisions you made up to that point mm-hmm. that you were projecting. Yeah. It's a, it can be not your fault, but it's your responsibility mm-hmm. after it has happened. And that's something I've had to reflect on, you know, being someone who is, survived i hate the word survived that feels like aggrandizing but who has made it through being sexually assaulted that something i had to come to terms with was okay this wasn't my fault like i am not the one who made the decision for this to happen consciously so it's Mm. not my fault but the minute it was over and the minute i was back to self it's my responsibility And that both means it's my responsibility to process it, but also my responsibility to figure out the ways in which I can make sure that doesn't happen again. Mm. So that's something that's useful for people to know is like, because there can be this tension between like, well, I had fucked up parents or I had a really difficult, you know, I lost my job. And it's like, it may genuinely not be your fault, but the minute it has happened, it's your responsibility. And you are the only one who has the choice of your life of how you're going to navigate through. Mm. And what are some some practices and tools? I mean, that I appreciate you sharing and, and being vulnerable, sharing that you've been sexually assaulted. And 
I know it's an all too common thing in our society and culture, and there's a lot of shame around it, mm. especially as the victim of it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe share your process or some tools that might help people that have a similar experience navigating that kind of trauma. Yeah. So there's a few pieces and, you know, I'll preface this with, this is what a, this is what my process was and B it's okay for some of these thoughts to be challenging. That's okay. You may find yourself, your ego may immediately hear some of these parts and go, Ooh, ouch, that hurts. So first and foremost for me was I needed to accept the ways in which the circumstance that I created, which in my circumstance was like, I went out drinking with some friends. They wanted to go home, but I wanted to stay at the bar to meet girls. So I stayed out on my own and got drunker and drunker and wasn't being safe with who I was like, oh yeah, I'll take a drink from you until this unfolded. I got roofied, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to take responsibility for the pieces where I was like, Ooh, no, you know, that, action I took was actually just not safe. It didn't make sense. Even as, you know, a six foot three man, it's still, you shouldn't just assume that you're going to be totally fine if you're on your own at a bar getting hammered. Hmm. So that's the first piece is just looking at it objectively. And this could be, this doesn't have to apply to trauma. This can apply to anything. It's looking at the thing that happened with true uh, objective eyes and being willing to look at the pieces where it's like, okay, even though it's 80% not my fault, there's 20% where I probably could have acted a little bit differently. Mm. Um, the second piece is making sure that you're not around people who are enabling your victim narrative. This is what is really hard for people, I find, because oftentimes initially after a trauma, it can feel really good to be commiserating with other people who have gone through a trauma as well. So then you're in it together like, wow, yeah, the world is terrible. I can't believe this happened to me. I'm so unlucky. Wow. Trauma bonding, right? Exactly. It's Mm -hmm. trauma bonding 100%. And, you know, at first it feels so good because you're seen. Mm, You're not alone in this. Someone else gets it. Mm -hmm. It's not just me. But very quickly that will be crabs in the pot syndrome and you're going to be just stuck there. And the other people who are in that trauma bond with you, are not going to want you to get out of it because if you get out of it, then that shines a light on them and makes them reflect on, can I get out of this too? Yeah, very confronting to people. Yeah, and I I have a friend who had a uh, a series of health issues and this person was in a, a Facebook group of people who had these similar health issues. And in this Facebook group, it's just like the most toxic thing of just everyone like, wow, the world is terrible. Everything I do, it's always this happens. And just like very absolute language. Like Mm -hmm. I always get sick when this happens. And, uh, you know, I gently pointed out to this person, I was like, do you think that that is probably serving your best healing? Or are you just taking in more info that is programming your mind to believe that the world is going to be out to get you? Mm -hmm. And after some reflection, the person was like, Oh wow. Okay. There's a big piece of me that was kind of attached to this victim narrative that life is happening to me. And I found people who are reinforcing that narrative. So that, that's piece number two is like if you are in that type of victim mindset and something has happened to you, you have to actively choose to break out of friends, family, whoever it is who are, who are reinforcing that victim story because it's really hard to break. It's really hard to get to escape velocity from mm-hmm. that story mm-hmm. if you are around people who are trying to tell you that that story is true. 
And then the third piece is to find people in which you can speak your story with truth as it truly is and be received. And Mm. there's a key discernment there. You know, piece number two is making sure that those people aren't people who will enable the victim narrative. Finding those people who you can speak to about what has happened to you or what you've gone through so that you can feel seen and heard, but who are going to hold the space and go, hmm, okay, interesting. So you went into the worst neighborhood in town at 4 a.m. and you were hammered and you got beat up. Do you think you had no control over what happened or do you think there are parts of that, that you could have done differently? Mm. So seeking that tribe of people who can do that. Of course, there's other modalities, plant medicines, of course, that are very useful for this awareness. Mm. Um, but those are the things I find that are like the first three steps or something that's accessible to everyone that everyone can do is, you know, first and foremost, critically analyze. Second, make sure you're not stuck in a victim narrative with other people. And then third, seek people who you can truly speak your story to. Mm, and that's the power of presence, right? Mm. Being able to really speak our truth without having to show up without fear of judgment, being able to truly share our experience in the presence of another. And it's, mm-hmm. it is difficult to find nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, what about people, you know, obviously that's a very traumatic event and we're mm-hmm. talking about these traumas that people can look to and be like, this thing happened to me. I don't know why I can't mm-hmm. understand it, but what about, you know, the, the, the traumas or the, the, the experiences when we're younger that kind of shape the lens in which we view reality yeah. and a lot of these unconscious and pattern patternings that happen when we're younger mm-hmm. that develop, you know, maybe a, a, our mindset and the way we see the world, but not necessarily like, you know, talk about trauma healing, but what if someone's like, I've never really experienced any trauma, yeah. but they're showing up with maybe these different triggers that they don't really know where they come from. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I talked about this recently on a, our mutual friend, Hallie Rose's podcast. And one thing I pointed out was that if you, so for people that think they have no traumas, I, I would provide this framework for looking at it. If you, if there's a behavior, you know, you want to be doing like, let's say working out five times a week and consistently you can't get it done. And you consistently are not getting it done. And it's not like a tactical thing. It's not like, oh, well, I don't know how to work out. It's just like I tell myself I'm going to work out and then I don't. You have the desire to do something, but you're not able to follow through. Exactly. If there's Mm -hmm. that gap, Mm -hmm. most times that is trauma in some form or way. Now, it doesn't, again, doesn't need to be big old capital T. You got hit when you're a kid trauma. It can be all the kids left you out. Every time it was time for recess, when it was time to play a sport and that made you feel like your body wasn't physically good enough. And when that happened, that patterned this into you that being in your body and working on your body is not a safe place for you emotionally. And that Mm. carries forward. So if you find there's a gap between between will and action, chances are there's something there to be looked into. Um, And then there's really three main areas that we experience as children, you know. We have our experience of our parents who are our gods, especially for the first you know, 10 years of our life. Once we mm. hit teenage years, they're kind of our, uh, our anti-gods. Well, we start realizing that they're just human, right? Exactly. And their faults start showing. And it's mm-hmm. really, that's a traumatic event for mm-hmm. us to unfold. Yeah. So there's, there's parents. Then there is other children that we are friends with or that we're in relation with. Mm-hmm. And then I find that there is a lot of people have real big woundings around whatever their preference, uh, whatever gender they're attracted to um, at the age at which they have 
starting, budding, blossoming feelings towards that gender, a lot of people have wounding around that as well. So mm. for me, that's women. Um, for each person, it'll be different. But that's like, those are the big three areas where we can kind of look at. Um, I remember I had this experience when I was, I think it was in third or fourth grade, and I really liked this girl. And mm. it was like the first girl I really liked. I remember mm. coming home and I wanted to get her something for Valentine's Day. And I know in America, we have this thing in Valentine's Day where at schools, or at least the schools I was in, there's like the box and you put like the Valentine mm-hmm. yeah, candies yeah. in, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I bought this three pack of necklaces uh, for this girl and I wrote a little note saying, you know, will you be my Valentine? Dropped mm-hmm. anything. And one of her friends who was a guy brought the note back and I had put like marked like yes or no, check yeah. mark and mm-hmm. really cute thing. Classic. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and she checked no. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a couple of weeks later her friends wearing the necklaces mm-hmm. and it just you know, not realizing until I started doing this work, like how much of an impact that had mm-hmm. on my ability to talk to women mm-hmm. for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And I would have to, you know, going out even to social, you know, situations, going to bars, like I'd have to drink in order to get that social anxiety sure. and even be able to approach women. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. Super fascinating. And, you know, a similar story. I, my first real relationship when I was young, I got cheated on. And mm-hmm. so I was... 15 I think maybe 16 and that like it took a long time to unpack that piece of deep rooted fear in every relationship that I would be cheated on and actually you know it led to some beautiful things my exploration of open relationships kind of came from that because it was Mm -hmm. like oh well here's a way to make sure I'm never cheated on if you can't be cheated on, like, oh, it's a good strategy. Uh, but uh, coming from the wrong place, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, eventually it became of the right place. But mm. it was like, it gave some awarenesses that way. But you, you want to see the way that these patterns inform you. So there's there's a couple different exercises that I really like. Um, first and foremost, around parents, because that's often people's biggest wounding and deepest. Uh, you can do this. Out, it, this is best done out loud with a person who is the gender of the parent in which you're trying to address the wound. Mm -hmm. So in this circumstance, you're sitting across from me. So you would play the father role, Mm -hmm. air quotes role. And to speak out loud the things that you wish you could have told your dad or could tell your dad that you've never said. So an example of that would be Joe's sitting here in front of me. I go, and you have to speak in the first person. You can't be like, what I would say is, it's, mm-hmm. it's really drop into the exercise. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a dad. What I wish I could have, what I wish you would know is that you being so angry so often when I was young really hurt me because it made me feel unsafe to feel my own emotions. And it made me feel like home often wasn't a safe place. And it took me a long time to unpack how many different pieces of not feeling safe to fail at anything because I felt like I would get yelled at. And so it felt like I should never fail. And if I fail, it was bad. And it took me a long time to unpack those pieces. And I just want you to know that I know you were trying. I know you were doing your best, but some of these ways in which you showed up really wounded me. Um, And I love you. You know, I get such a gift that we get to unfold our relationship now that we're a little bit older, but these are some of the key ways in which I've received wounding from you. Mm. Um, so doing this exercise is like a good luck doing it the first time you do it without crying. Um, and I think I I would like to address the importance of if those emotions come mm -hmm. up, you know, doing it with somebody that can hold the space first of all and guide you into 
where you're feeling that in your body. Cause in the somatic response, we hold a lot of this trauma in our physical mm-hmm. being. And so mm-hmm. when we start crying, it's energy wanting to be released exactly. and being able to fully feel into that. It's really cathartic where you even feel it in your body, which energy center and being able to like really feel into that and something really magical happens. You can actually start, you know, purging not mm-hmm. energetically, whether mm-hmm. it's crying, you know, convulsing even, you know, yeah. depending how deep the trauma is within you. And it's just very cathartic. Absolutely. And it's, you know, like you said, it's super important. You have the right space holder for this exercise. Um, you want it to be someone who can be a clean container for your energy. Mm. Now there's a decent amount of people listening right now. Like I do not, A, I'm not comfortable doing that in front of anyone yeah. and B, I don't have the person to do it from. So you can do this as a journaling exercise. Yeah. Too. Writing it down can mm-hmm. be just as powerful. If it was a letter to your dad, what would you say? Yeah. Um, Not having to read it for him or with him. Exactly. Yeah. Would you recommend ever getting to a point of actually addressing this with the parent and actually speaking it to them? Depends. Okay. So the way I view this, um, and we'll backtrack two steps and we'll come forward three steps. So, As you finish that exercise, that's triaging the wound. You're finding where the wound is for yourself. It's not fixing the wound. That isn't the whole healing process, but most people are unaware of where the wounds are. Awareness, coming back to the self-awareness. Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can do the exact same exercise with mother um, wound and, you know, pick whichever one you think is primary for you, but do both eventually. Um, So this gives you the awareness of where the wound is, which is the first, first step um, oftentimes when we speak out what we wish we could have said to them, we drop very quickly into our little kid mode of the things we actually wish we would have gotten from our parents that we never got, which is, shows us where our wounding is. So once you've, uh, once you've done that, then to, sorry, remind me of the question one more time. <laughs> oh, you're just going through the steps of yeah. the process of speaking how you wish you would have been able mm-hmm. to express how you feel to the other parent. And we're going through the steps of leading to and maybe should possibly, we speak it to them? should we speak it yes. to them? It's all coming back to me now. Um, so <laughs> That's what happens when you go two steps back to go three I steps know, forward. I totally lost in the story. Fuck, I'm five steps sideways. <laughs> um, back on track, back on track. Yeah, exactly. So should you ever speak it to them? The answer is it depends. So what you need to identify for yourself is... Do you have a need to speak it to them because it will truly serve your highest healing and help heal a relationship? Or are you speaking it because you feel a need to get them back in mm, some way? It's the energy you bring to it, right? Mm-hmm. Are you projecting your hurt and pain onto them? Mm-hmm. Or are you truly just becoming coming back to yourself and mm-hmm. your sovereignty mm-hmm. and be like, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting because part of my deep healing journey with my parents, which has been one of my big life journeys, and I've got to this point where it's really beautiful and it's a, like a long journey to get there. But the initial healing part, when I was on the road traveling, I felt so disconnected from them. And I went to my sister's wedding in Texas in the middle of that trip. And there were some events that happened before that that really just created this disconnection mm-hmm. or like we weren't even really speaking. Mm-hmm. And showed up for my sister. It was her big day. And the whole family was like, we're just not going to talk about it. But there was mm-hmm. like this tension in the mm-hmm. air. And I remember I was getting to a point where I was about to hit the road again. And I was leaving my house and my mom said, you know, I love you. And we get, gave me a hug. And it just felt so inauthentic to say I love you back. Mm-hmm. And all of the stories of like my whole childhood, like all of us saying I love you, but there was no energy to it. There was mm-hmm. no meaning. There was no mm-hmm. actual like, there was no love there. And yeah. I felt it. And I just, I was like, okay, like I'll see you. Goodbye. Mm. And I like walked away and she just broke down crying. She's mm. like, you don't leave like this. Don't leave mm. without saying you love me. Like I need you to love me. Like all this stuff. Mm. And I was like, 
do you want to talk about it? Like, mm. Do you want to do this right now? And she's like, yeah. So we went and sat at the kitchen table yeah. and I proceeded to, and I've always had trouble talking to my mom because mm-hmm. I always felt emotionally manipulated. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's a deep story that I've, you know, been working on healing and it's actually helped me become a really good space holder for others, but in a more sovereign way. But, you know, I started speaking like how I felt, you know, mm-hmm. I, I said, one of the stories that I feel like you treated me more like a, a football player than your son mm-hmm. when I was mm-hmm. in, the, in the NFL. And, you know, there's other things that I, I said that I felt when I was growing up and how I felt she wasn't showing up for me in that way. And, and she was trying to get into that emotional, like crying. And I usually, when she starts crying, I feel bad. So I'm like, okay, right. like I don't want to hurt okay, you. It's yeah. okay. And I, and I, I remember it was really powerful. And this was kind of what you're saying. I was like, mom, I'm, I'm not saying you could have done it any different. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you should have done it any different. I'm just, I need to tell you how I feel. Mm-hmm. And this is how I feel. This is not, I'm not projecting on, on you or saying you did anything wrong, but this mm-hmm. is just my experience. And this is how I felt like I was treated. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you intentionally did it this way. Yeah. And it was really powerful. Mm. And then my dad came in, same thing kind of happened. Mm. And it wasn't an easy thing. And it didn't leave it, like we didn't leave all like lovey-dovey and hugging. Yeah. It was very cathartic and a lot of energy exchange, but it wasn't just like all of a sudden healed. Mm-hmm. But I can point back to that moment where I'm at now, a couple of years later with my parents and the journey that it was a long journey to where I'm at now, mm-hmm. just processing and showing up every time I'm around them with like the triggers of coming up within me and being able to, know, okay, why is this coming up within me and being able to, to hold my own energy and, and move that. But it all points back to that point where I finally was able to express how I feel and how yeah. I felt treated. Mm-hmm. And that's where the healing journey really started with them. Absolutely. And it's just the difference in energy between like, you know, if your parents trigger you, what you, what is less ideal is to be just in that like, well, fuck you energy. Mm. What's more ideal is to be in the energy of like, hey, what you just said was really hurtful. Mm. And like, that's true expression. That's not trying to play a gotcha game of like, no, see, you're wrong. Yeah. Like if you say something to me and I feel triggered, mm-hmm. I can communicate to you like, wow, what you said just really brought something up within me. Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't know what it is. It's my energy. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, you could, you could like to be really fully healed and enlightened, right. Mm-hmm. Is you could be just motherfucking me saying mm-hmm. whatever you want to me. And I'm just, my energy's clean. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times there's going to be something that's coming up. That self-awareness of what's coming up within our bodies mm-hmm. is so big and not projecting it out. Like this person made me feel this. Exactly. And I'll, I'll introduce the concept here of what I call indicator emotions, which are anger and anxiety primarily. And those are really, those are often less so actual real emotions, but they're indicators that are mm-hmm. pointing at other things. So If someone triggers one of those two emotions in you, look at it as, okay, this anger is trying to tell me something. What is it trying to tell me? And usually it's like a boundary has been infringed upon. And that's what anger is trying to signal to you. Anxiety is often trying to signal to you something left undone or something, a loop not closed that needs to be processed. So it's like you start to think about that way. So when triggers do come present for you and you feel a certain feeling, just those two strong emotions that most people struggle with in one way or another they're pointing at things. And what are they pointing at? Because that's how you have the energetically clean interaction. It's rather than you, you know, doing something to me. And then I'm like, Joe, fuck you. Why would you do that? What's wrong with you? Like, that's not going to be productive, first Mm -hmm. of all. But if I'm able to take a breath and get into myself and go, okay, I'm angry right now. Why am I angry? Well, you know, I told Joe he could use the car today, but I didn't tell him he could use it 
for three days. And now he used it for three days without asking. And I feel like he really crossed a boundary. And then I just communicate that to you and go, Joe, I thought you were only going to use it for one day. You used it for three days. And then we're clean. Like mm. You may receive it a different way, but at least then I've really communicated what the truth is. And again, this is what happens process. If, if I... What you say is, hey, this is this is my boundary. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm feeling this way because mm-hmm. you said one day you used it for three days. All of a sudden, I get defensive. Mm-hmm. That triggers something within me, and I start projecting that onto mm-hmm. you. How, how do you? Because I think that's a, a common theme on this journey, is especially when we're around so many people and we start growing and wanting to become totally. more self aware. It's hard to navigate those situations with people when they continue to project. And it's like, well, it's not it's not me. Like this, yeah. I even did the, the thing you told me, and the, then this person's sure. still projecting their shit on me. Yeah. So the the higher self best outcome interaction would be to hold space for that person and go, well, really talk me through. Like, what was your perception of what happened? What were you feeling when this happened? Mm. You know what what. What gave you the idea that three days was the amount of time? Was it something I said? Was it something I did? That's like highest self. No, mm, really mature thing to do. Holy it's crap. like the best yeah. thing to do. Now, I'm not always there. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So it's not like this is like yeah, I fucking nail this all the time. And I find that for most people, the path, the journey to awareness, gets very narrow before it widens back out. So mm. most people have this experience where like they're starting to wake up and they're like wow, I feel like I'm losing all of these old friends because I just can't be in those interactions anymore. And to give permissiveness, it's not like you should just discard your friends for no reason, but that's okay. There's definitely some friends that you might need to really set a solid boundary with if they're not Mm -hmm. showing up for you. But three years down the road, you may be able to circle back to that interaction because you've leveled yourself up to the place where you can actually now, you have enough to give, Mm. to give a helping hand and be like, holding that space. So it can get narrow and then it widens out again to where you're able to hold that yeah. space a little better. Stay the path. And then there's that, that uh, the law of attraction comes into play, right? When you start elevating your awareness and your vibration and you're mm-hmm. able to stay in those, you know, higher emotional states like love and gratitude, mm-hmm. it might narrow down because the people that don't kind of match that start, you know, you start realizing you can't be around their energy as much. But if you continue the path and trust, mm-hmm. your vibe will attract your tribe. Absolutely. And the right type of people will begin showing up in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing I'd like to offer too, when it comes to like all of this work and becoming aware, such a powerful tool that I've come to to use uh, is curiosity, mm-hmm. right? Being very curious about the emotions that you're having. And it's just such a powerful tool. Yeah. Um, now, I do want to dive into some medicine work, and this might be mm-hmm. a good... Um, segue because mm-hmm. the curiosity thing really showed up and I I had a profound experience of it in my last ayahuasca retreat mm-hmm. and one of the medicine men actually offered it to me um, and it really helped me navigate because early on my fir- we did you know, down in Sultar Healing Center we did four ceremonies and the first ceremony had a really intense experience mm-hmm. And um, the medicine always really hits me kind of later on. Mm. I've, I've worked with the medicine 13 times now. Mm. I sat with it 13 times. And I've come to, through the building that relationship, know that like my, I metabolize it slow for whatever reason. Right. And so I knew this and was prepared for it. And I worked with the shamans later in the, in the week. But I ended up having this full-on experience. After ceremony was closed, I went back up to my room and I was by myself. And... I got blasted off into infinite potential Mm -hmm. and I was in that space. I was able to tell myself any story that I wanted. Mm -hmm. But when I was doing that, I started losing all sense of self Mm -hmm. and my own Mm -hmm. story. And it was very frightening and I kept going in this loop and I was very much stuck in like my, my, my head and my mind in an Mm -hmm. infinite loop. And 
a lot of powerful lessons came from that. One of them, and we can talk about this with your journey with plant medicine, is like, what am I doing here? Mm. Like I, I reached the, the answer, like yeah. everything, yeah. infinite, infinity, mm. like I touched it. Mm. And I've always had this kind of deep desire to know truth. Mm. And, you know, a lot of times I have this, this strength, this warrior mindset to go and even explore consciousness with this like, trying to trying to chase an experience mm-hmm. and, and learn the answer of the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, I even have this podcast, like this is what I love discussing. Yeah. And in that moment, I was an infinite potential. I'm like, what am I here? Mm-hmm. Why am I here? What am I chasing? And so it was, you know, talking about my journey now, we can get into this later, is how much more grounded I am in not having to chase that experience. So that was a really mm-hmm. beautiful part of it. But in the experience, I was sharing it with the shamans uh, the following couple of days and curiosity came up. Mm-hmm. And instead of, being lost in the infinite loop, right? And like being very in the experience, they offered, you know, get curious mm-hmm. in that space mm-hmm. of like, what is this? And it, it automatically can drop you into the observer of the experience rather than being lost in it. And that's a profound experience I had in like a deep medicine infinity loop. Mm-hmm. But you can bring that into even the simplest things in everyday life, which is a really powerful lesson for me. Absolutely. Yeah. There's that curiosity is a really huge part of internal family systems as well, because a huge feature of that sort of psychological framework is that when an emotion or when something becomes present within you to simply get curious about it and almost engage with it as if it's a person inside of you. So if anger becomes present going anger, okay. I see you here. What is it you would like to share with me? And then waiting, being present, going, okay, huh, a boundary's been crossed. Hey, Anger, uh, how old are you? What age are you? I'm 10. Huh. Okay, interesting. Okay. What, uh, what do you have to teach me that you're trying to indicate to me that is, was shown to you when you were 10? And then maybe it communicates. Oh, when you were 10, dad took away your favorite toy and he didn't do it for any good reason. He just did it to spite you. And that really wounded you. Mm. And so now you get angry every time you feel like something's being taken away from you because it feels like that. And there's a 10 year old inside of you that's waiting to be healed. So that shows up in the example with the the borrowing of the car. Mm -hmm. Something as simple as that could trigger Mm -hmm. that deep emotion from that experience that is living in the unconscious. Mm So that's that that's curiosity as a tool even to investigate your inner landscape, whether in the psychedelic experience or sober. These are both beautiful ways to work with everything and to work with others. If someone else is having a strong emotion towards you. What if you just treated it as I'm curious about why they're feeling that instead yeah. of feeling like you need to react to it? Just I'm curious why Joe is so angry at me right now. Joe, what what? what is really driving the anger you're feeling towards me right now? I understand you're angry and I want to be able to amend this situation the best I can. So I want to understand you better. Why are you feeling what you are feeling? And that is like fertile ground for the best possible outcome. Mm, It's beautiful. Um, Where did your plant medicine journey begin? I know you're, you're intimately involved in, in holding ceremony, holding Mm. space and, uh, in a wide variety of ways. And I know that's continuing to evolve yeah. and I know you're being called for some bigger, bigger stuff, but where did it kind of originate and how has it evolved when you're with your understanding of it? Yeah. Um, so when I was 21, 22, I had been drinking for, you know, since I was 16, let's say 15, 16, and, uh, was drinking four and five nights a week, six nights a week, sometimes a lot of times to the point of blacking out, 
And uh, basically I lost a job that was a really, uh, I was doing quite well for being a kid with no college degree. And I lost that job because I was drinking and kind of became a wake up call, but I couldn't quit drinking because my ego is attached to that Mm -hmm. so strongly. Um, kind of like you described earlier, that a little bit of uh, energy of this was the only way I could talk to women and I knew where all the good parties were and I always had the cute girl on my arm and, you know, outside reinforcement tells you if you're a man that you're killing it if you mm. have the pretty girl and you're at the good parties. And even the parties and the culture and the identity that you developed about mm-hmm. being around all those people, is, mm-hmm. you don't want to lose that, right? Exactly. So I knew that that needed to stop for me to reach my potential, but I couldn't quit drinking. And I heard Tim Ferriss mention on an early episode of his podcast, just is something along the lines of mushrooms really helped with my depression. I was like, huh, that's interesting. I had taken mushrooms once recreationally, but never in any sort of intentional context. So I went about sourcing some mushrooms, finally found some. And when I was 22, took a healthy dose that, I wouldn't recommend ever taking alone. And uh, how many how many grams? That was a five gram journey. Okay. So I was just alone in my room in the dark. And did you have any understanding of dosage at that time, or you just went for it? I just went for it. Okay. So that was the amount I had. So that was the amount I took. Okay. <laughs> so I don't recommend that to people. We'll talk about safety a little bit yeah, later in the yeah. conversation for sure. But that that uh, experience and the two experiences that happened just after that. Um, over the course of the next six months really unfolded for me just why I was drinking, how to have self-love, what my purpose was. Like I saw this mountain of my purpose and it was relieved or it was revealed to me that every time you drink, you slide right back down to the bottom of this fucking mountain. So keep drinking if you want to. Mm. Go ahead. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. You're just going to be living at the bottom of the mountain. It's cool. (laughs) If you don't want to get to the top. Yeah. Um, And after that, I quit drinking for a whole year. And have since developed a you know 98% healthy relationship with alcohol where I can intentionally choose. I go and have a glass of wine with dinner. That's fine. And, you know, once or twice a year, it's like time to get hammered with the boys from a birthday. Yeah, let so, loose. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that really revealed to me, wow, there's something here. And this, you know, psychedelics were just starting to crest onto the public scene at this point. But it was still pretty unknown compared to where we are now. Yeah. Reemerged from the 60s, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, eight years later, it's wild how much has changed. So we, <clears throat> I really gave, uh, I started to work with like some close friends and continue to work on my own journeys and just would work one-on-one with people and kind of like hold space for them. Didn't really know what I was doing, but just knew that it impacted me so much that I had to share. Mm. Started to see similar impacts for them and was like, wow, okay, so it wasn't just me. and you know, went and viewed other ceremonies like ayahuasca and kind of saw the way they did things and brought those practices into my practice of mushrooms. And it's just like seeing this beautiful unfolding of this to where, you know, I've developed more people in ceremony and more modalities to work with during these ceremonies. So it's kind of unfolded in this beautiful way where my practice has increased and really helped to, uh, help to give me a better understanding of just what trauma is and what healing is and how it can be effectively accessed with these medicines and how it can be actually ineffectively accessed with these medicines as well has been the biggest learning recently. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people, it is becoming more mainstream, I guess you could say, at least that the, it's, you know, being researched and studied and being used in clinical settings, which is really beautiful. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, I know I, I experienced this. I, you know, I partied and I did other drugs. And I think one of my first real deep experiences with, with MDMA mm-hmm. and I was like actually experiencing like real unconditional full mm-hmm. love, like all my stories dropped away and I was just so present. And I was like, how do I reconnect with this without having to take the drug? And that kind of yeah. got me on the journey of finding like meditation and being able to process the stories. Mm-hmm. But I always had this fear of psychedelics, mm-hmm. you know, the stories when I was younger about, <clears throat> I remember in high school, I'd hear these stories of people that took mushrooms and they see like fireballs and yeah, demons yeah, yeah. and like all For this sure. stuff. Right. And I think a lot of people do have that that deep fear of mm-hmm. like, what's going to come up? What am I going to see? I don't mm-hmm. want to look at that. And they might be interested. There might be something deep within them. Like they hear about the healing properties of mm-hmm. it, but they don't know what's going to come up. So maybe for the listeners that haven't experienced this type of medicine, mm-hmm. any recommendations or advice to help them navigate that fear um, and kind of dive in? Yeah. So there's a few things that I think can be really, really useful. So first is just like a proper medicine progression. Most people shouldn't jump into Bufo as their first experience of any psychedelic whatsoever. Bufo is a very potent psychedelic for those that are not. It's 5-MeO DMT and it will blast you off into infinity instantly. Total dissolving of all things. And what I recommend to most people is start working with something like microdosing. Mm. as a first step that'll allow you to start to create a relationship with mushrooms or with lsd i find mushrooms better though as a microdosing for me personally and it will start to bring awareness most importantly you'll start to be able to more accurately in real time process your emotions and a lot of the fear that people experience is this actually it's less of a fear and it's more of a deep knowing that there's something inside of them that has not been looked at mm. that is going to come up. Yeah. So it's the same fear of, you know, not talking about something mm-hmm. with a partner because exactly. the emotions might break out and all that mm-hmm. pent up, you know, stuff that you're holding inside is mm-hmm. going to just rush out and you won't know how to contain it. Exactly. So that's, that's where microdose can be really useful as a first tool is allow awareness to start to come in and allow you to start that process. Now, once you actually get into a more full ceremonial dosage, the advice is simply that of the buffalo in the storm. And I think you've probably heard this story, mm-hmm. but if you haven't, um, for those that haven't, there's a Native American proverb about the buffalo and the buffalo when there's a blizzard coming it turns towards the storm and walks through it because Mm -hmm. it knows that the fastest way through the storm is to go through it rather than run away from it. And then the storm's just following you and you're in it for longer. And that same advice applies to both your emotions and also to any psychedelic experiences. If something uncomfortable is becoming present, turning towards it will be the fastest way through it. So that's uh, the way to think about it is if you have a difficult emotion, if you just look at it you'll move through it you'll be okay you will survive i promise you that and you'll be able to get out the other side much quicker it's often the resistance to what is where people classically describe a bad trip i've never heard someone tell me about a bad trip in you know a couple thousand people i think i've worked with at this point nobody has described to me a bad trip that wasn't because of one of two causes either a they were in totally the wrong place on too high of a dose. So they're at like a music festival, but they're on five grams of mushrooms and they don't know what they're doing and they feel unsafe and there's all these people around and they feel like they're being looked at and like, okay, that's mm-hmm. obviously undesirable. 
Um, or circumstance number two, which is the resistance to what is becoming present. So they have an uncomfortable emotion. You know, they start thinking about like, God, you know, my dad was really a dick to me when I was younger. And they, and then they go, I don't want to think about that. And the psychedelic usually is not going to let you get away with that. So it's going to keep pushing that thing that you need to see. Mm. But if you resist it the whole way, then you start to have this experience of demons and fireballs and all that jazz. So that's like the first two pieces is just turn towards it and Mm. make sure you're actually going into the storm of what's becoming present. Yeah. And, and living or bringing more intention into this, right. And like Mm -hmm. the set and setting, like you talked about and doing it in a ceremonial container, you know, I, I, when I first started experimenting with psychedelics, I did mushrooms in the mountains on a hike, Mm. which was a really beautiful place to get introduced to Mm. it. But then I did to go to a festival and and did it a little more recreationally. Mm. But when I started working with it in these ceremonial containers with proper facilitation and, and intention, like coming to work on something I know that mm-hmm. has come up within me to kind of unlock the unconscious, which is the power of the psychedelics to bring this stuff forward. Like I've noticed when I'm intentional going into a ceremony, I get exactly what I need. And a lot of times it's not in the direct like answer mm-hmm. that I think, but you know, maybe right after the ceremony, even weeks, months after it becomes clear to me that, wow, I brought this intention into this ceremony and it has been revealed to me Mm -hmm. and how to move through it. So talk about the power of intention and how important that is when you're working with these medicines. And then, you know, for me, and I'm sure for you, bringing that intention into our daily lives as well and the power that it can really have on us. Yeah, so even on the note of partying with these substances, I'm maybe one of the few people, but I think there's plenty of people who believe this, that I don't think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. You can party with these substances. The key, key differentiator is that word that you said, intention. So for most people, when they're going to a party or they're going out to the bar, they're doing it from a place of a desire to become less conscious, of a desire to escape their day-to-day life and to become less aware. So that's the opposite of intention. <laughs> that's like unintentionally trying to become less, less, less intentional. It's an unconscious intention to become more <laughs> unconscious. <laughs> more unconscious, um, sometimes literally. And the thing that I provide is even if you know you're going to a music festival, maybe it's your birthday next month and you know that you're going to be with your six best friends and you guys are going to really, you're going to choose a dose that makes sense for the experience you're going to have. And the intention stated is to enhance and enjoy the experience that you're going to have together as a community to bond you together in this beautiful experience and reverence and joy so that can be an intention too um when you're going into ceremony intentionality is huge because it's you your intention is you signaling to the medicine to your higher self to your subconscious whatever framework works for you to hear it's you signaling to those that you are taking it seriously because you're not just, Oh, it'd be cool to take mushrooms tonight. Fuck it. Why not? You're going, okay, I'm going to spend a week beforehand. I'm going to really think about why, why am I going to this experience? What would I like to learn? Um, the way that carries over into your day-to-day life. So in the psychedelic experience, you might have something revealed to you in your day-to-day life. It can be as simple as a practice I've started to bring in, which is choosing an intention for the day and just, what's my intention today Mm. and that could be something really simple like i need to get this thing done it can be something a little more abstract like today i need i would like to be in joy Mm. i would like to be in reverence of nature what intention allows you to do is it it's 
it's a tool for introspection is kind of the way I view it. Your intentionality allows you to focus your mind, you know, the, uh, the broad lens aperture of your mind that's looking at everything at once. It allows you to focus that into a narrow zoom on the thing that you're aiming at mm. and allows you to see that more clearly. And that's the psychedelic experience as well as you zoom in often on the thing that's most present for you and you get the chance to work through that. And then you come back out the other side like, oh, mm. how have I never realized that that was why I do that behavior? <laughs> yeah. And I love that it doesn't have to be this deep, hard work always, right? Mm. I love the fact that you can set the intention to go on a nice hike. Yeah. Really connect with nature. For sure. Feel with the deeper parts of love within me. Mm-hmm. And it can be a really beautiful thing. And you talked about coming out the other side. And I think a big piece of doing this, using these tools to do some deep healing work, the integration is... A lot of times, 99% of the journey, right? Yep. And without Absolutely. properly integrating the experiences that you have, what are you really going in for? Absolutely. So talk a little bit about integration and the importance of that. Yeah. So integration is, like you said, it is the entire game. It's why you're even going into the psychedelic experience in the first place is so that you can literally build scaffolding in your normal day-to-day life that will improve your life. So the... Things that I think people miss from their experiences. First of all, I I see this, you know, to say this with as little judgment as possible, but this will still have some judgment in it. (laughs) So that is what it is. I see this often (laughs) that people really have a penchant or a want to just treat their psychedelic experience as this sort of crazy novelty. So like the easy example is someone's like, wow, I was visited by aliens in my psychedelic experience. And it's Mm. like, okay, cool. What did they tell you? Mm. And then maybe they told them something very concrete, like you need to work on your relationship with your brother. But people tend to not focus on that. They're like, I got visited by aliens. How cool is that? And they want the story to tell. Exactly. Or like I had this past life vision and it's like beautiful. Past life ish. Now it doesn't matter if it's like a past life or archetypally, but like what energy was that trying to show you that you need in your day to day life that you need to bring in? Mm-hmm. So the first piece is treating your experience as something you need to decode for what it is trying to tell you about your day to day life that you need to bring in or things that you need to let go of. Now, sometimes it'll be very clear with you and it will just outright tell you the thing you need to do, but sometimes it's a little bit less clear. So the first piece of integration for most people is taking the time for the week or two after your experience to sit with your journal entry from the experience, sit with it every day and just read it back over, spend some time thinking about it and watch the pieces unfold and allow them to take root because that's really you watering the roots that the psychedelic has put down is you thinking about the experience over and over again for the week after, two weeks after. Then after you do that, it's really critical that you develop an action plan. So this doesn't need to be huge. doesn't need to be like a whole life action plan. It could be as simple as like, I realized I need more self-love. So every morning I am going to look at myself in the mirror for five minutes and tell myself some things I love about me. Mm. And that's it. That's your integration plan. And that's how you're literally integrating it into your life. Now, the the difficulty comes when we get addicted to the receiving of the the messages instead of the using of the messages. Mm. And this is when I talk about reverence and respect for the medicines. This is the biggest key point is 
if you haven't integrated the lessons from your previous journey into your life, you probably shouldn't be going for your next journey. But it can be easy for us to slip into the mindset of as if psychedelics are a magic eight ball. And this time when I shake it, I'm going to get a different answer, one that's more desirable to my ego. Mm. So it's just having that reverence for the medicine is show, but the way that you show medicines that you respect them and that you respect yourself is by integrating what you learned. And it's mm. a critical non-negotiable step of the experience. And the question people should ask themselves is in what in what demonstrable ways has my life improved mm. since that experience? If the answer is none, okay. Mm. Has everything been integrated? Mm. Were the things that came present, did you actually put them into play in your life? Or did you kind of go, well, it told me that I need to break up with my girlfriend, but that's really painful, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> what I'm going to do is these other three little bullshitty things that I can tell a story about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and telling the story, I mean, that that resonates so much with me because there's a a deep aspect of me that, you know, has a fear of missing out and, mm-hmm. and wants to have an experience. Like when I started doing this work, it's like I want to have the experience to share with people because mm-hmm. especially with ayahuasca because you you know, first time going to ayahuasca, I have all these expectations, trying not to, but just hearing all the stories of the visions mm-hmm. and all these different dimensions and the aliens and people coming to mm-hmm. visit and all these crazy visuals. And when I first started working with the medicine, I didn't have any deep experience until my yeah. fourth ceremony. And it wasn't this deep visual experience. And circling back to what I was sharing when I was in that infinite loop, that first ceremony that I was down in, in Sultara experiencing, and I, I had this deep realization of like, what am I doing here? Like, what am I, why am I here? Mm. Like, what's my intention? Mm -hmm. And realizing that for so long, this unconscious thing that I want to go in, my ego wants to go in. And so I can go to other people and share this experience I Mm -hmm. had. And it, 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 realizing that that takes away from the sacredness of the experience. If I'm doing it so that I have something to share with others, that's, that's not the right thing, not the right intention to go in. And you know, that week going into those following ceremonies, realizing and bringing more sacredness into my experience, mm. going in, not for the intention of like, oh, I hope I have a, an experience so that when we do our group share, <laughs> I can actually share something profound, yeah. but going in for myself. Mm-hmm. And then it allowed me to have these really deep experiences. And some of that's just for me. Yep, exactly. You know, and, and bringing the sacredness into this medicine work is really important. And I'd love to get your perspective on you know, in the community that we're involved in, and obviously you're involved in the psychedelics and, you know, I've, I've experienced them too. And I think it's such a powerful medicine. And I know we both have the desire to continue to, to find ways to bring these modalities into, mm-hmm. you know, the people we love and the, the world because they've had such a profound impact on our lives. But, you know, with the stuff we're talking about, share a little bit of your perspective on the landscape of maybe people using them in the wrong way or chasing mm-hmm. that experience, not properly integrating them and, and how that can be really dangerous, not only for the individual, but for the collective movement that is taking place. Yeah. So I call this, you know, whether you want to call it the Mayan effect or the uh, Viking effect, both cultures took mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms to do terrible things in the Mayans were sacrificing humans. I believe it was the Mayans. Think it was um, sacrificing humans on top of this huge, beautiful pyramid, and like sack of pulling their heart out, like the blood running down the steps. And the Vikings, they would take 
mushrooms before they went into war as a way to go into that like berserker rage. So the reason I presence that story is because I think people have this, uh, this rose tinted glasses, especially those of us that have experienced how wonderful psychedelics can be. We have these rose tinted glasses that like, Oh, well, these are always for the highest good. And there's always a positive outcome on the other end. Uh -uh. (laughs) Historically, not the case. And we are, a part of history. Mm-hmm. We are the same humans as those humans 500 years ago that were doing those things. So I presence that just so people can have the the wider lens that just because psychedelics can potentiate these beautiful healing experiences does not necessarily mean that they will when they are not used in the correct, correct circumstance. Um, there seems to be a thing that happens that is really difficult to watch happen when people go to the well too many times. It's almost like their mind is forced to fragment and Mm. there's a piece of them that never gets the chance to put its roots back down in the 3d because they become so addicted to the idea of being in the 5d super everything consciousness. It becomes another form of escapism. It becomes their escapism. It's exactly that. So that's the thing to be conscious and aware of. And the way it harms the movement is like, you know, it's my opinion, most people, and by most, I mean probably 50% of humans worldwide shouldn't do ayahuasca. Mm. They actually don't ever need a medicine that strong or an experience that intense for them to heal and for them to have their best life individually. They don't need that experience. You know, 25% of people should never do mushrooms. Maybe they should only ever try microdosing. Maybe 5% of people never even need microdosing. So it's like, the way I look at it is there's these because we're in this area where this is so exciting and there's so many new medicines and I'm guilty of this too. Like mm-hmm. I just went to a retreat where I tried four new medicines. Mm-hmm. So it's like awareness for self too of when am I being a psychedelic tourist <laughs> and just being like, Oh wow, look at this crazy experience I have that now I get to share. Have you ever even heard of this medicine? Mm-hmm. Oh, you haven't done Yopo bro. Whatever. Yeah. That's cool. That's sort of like spiritual narcissism yep. that can slip in the back door. Um, that doesn't serve the movement because what we're all in this for is the healing of the collective of all the humans. And for most of us, like I tell people all the time, you may come sit in one mushroom ceremony and you may be good for the rest of your life. And that is beautiful. That's actually my highest goal. Mm. If I have to see you 42 times, Maybe we're not doing something yeah, right. Fuck, something's going <laughs> kind of wrong. And yeah. It's like, it's okay to have a yearly check-in or something where you kind of tap in and go, am I still on the path? Has anything new built up that I'm unaware of? But I think it really is just that of watching and the reverence of the medicines. Like the way to revere the medicine is to do the work in your day-to-day life. Mm. Because if you're just accessing the medicine all the time, you're not doing the work to heal the earth where these medicines grow. Mm. You're not doing the work to help wake others up. And you're not doing the work to help create the society in which ideally you know if i had my ultimate one wish a hundred years from now or 50 years from now at the end of my life it would be that we would be in a society where psychedelics wouldn't be necessary Mm. this would be so not necessary all of us would be so embodied aware in love in reverence in the moment that we wouldn't need these substances for anything Mm, that's so beautiful man and such a beautiful vision And it resonates so hard. I mean, you said a word there, embody, mm. right? And it, it, that is really the ultimate goal is to embody such a loving presence mm. that just through the power of your presence, 
you can heal. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that's where we're all, you know, especially as a, as a healer, you're a healer. It's like, how do we get to a place where we can embody such a loving presence? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's the whole story of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't have magical powers. Mm-hmm. He was just, he healed people with his presence because yeah. he was so connected. In me, all things are made new. Mm. And it's so beautiful. And that's where really where we're trying to get to, not to chase these, these wild experiences. Um, and I do think it's really beautiful because the powerful part about experiencing a psychedelic is it gives you a knowing of something greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it, it, it can be just a belief. Like, okay, I, I believe this thing because I was told to believe this thing. There's there's a God out there. There's, you know, you follow a certain religion and you you, you follow the the scriptures that are a part of that, you know, religion. And it's just like, believe this. Mm. But there's always, it's always, there's always a question. Yeah. And so when you go into these spaces and you actually have an experiential connection to something greater than yourself, mm-hmm. whatever you want to label it as, yeah. is really beautiful. And, and just sometimes just having that one experience can really just change everything mm. in an instant. Um, and I'd love to get your perspective on what that thing is, right? Like a lot of people use God. And I think I had a lot of resistance to the word God because mm. I grew up in the dogmatic Christian belief mm. system and didn't really fully understand what God was to me. Mm. And it prevented me from creating a experiential personal relationship with whatever that was. Yeah. So I'd love to get your perspective on, on God source universe this thing that is out there the ineffableness of what we're talking about yeah beautiful question and i have such a such a good non-answer for this (laughs) take an ant to an ayahuasca ceremony and ask it about its experience that's us trying to describe god The thing that always becomes present to me, and I'll I'll give a more real answer in a second of sort of my experience of God, but something I always am present to within myself that helps keep me humble and in that space of like, I really don't know, Mm. is our human receiver compared to the everythingness that is even just in this room. So if everything in this room that we're sitting in right now is of God, made by God, a part of God, Try to become aware of everything in this room in this moment. You fucking can't. There's a mm. table below us. There's the ground we're standing on. There's some pictures to the left. There's a painting behind you. There's a microphone. Like you can't hold all You're those things. You're doing a pretty damn good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't hold all those things in your consciousness at mm. once. And that's just the physical. That's just the physical. Yeah. It's not even the EMF that is through this room. Mm. It's not the heat of the sun that's outside beaming on this house, creating the warmth. It's like the oxygen we're breathing. <sighs> there's uh, so many things going on. And mm-hmm. our human receiver is so, so limited in its ability to perceive these things. And part of that's necessary. That's how we survive in the world. So when people have the question of like, what is God? It, it becomes present to me that why do we think we get to know mm. in our limited physical form where we are as humans now what the felt experience of god is in the psychedelic experience and sometimes occasionally through like breath work or through sitting in deep presence is the flow of love that is experiencing itself the opportunity for everythingness to distill into something and for that something to get to experience itself. Mm. 
So that's the felt experience, but that is tempered by a heavy dose of, I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like inherently like the universe is, is chaotic. Mm -hmm. And so there's something intelligent that brought us into form, Mm -hmm. right? It just, and when I was dancing in that ayahuasca, I keep referring back to that experience and I was in infinite potential like that. That is what the everything is. Mm And it was fucking overwhelming, frightening. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who I was because I was everything and I just dissolved. And it's like, okay, that is the answer. It's ineffable. It's, it's, you mm-hmm. can't even comprehend in our limited human minds. Mm-hmm. But the ability to have an experience, it just creates so much gratitude mm-hmm. for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes down to you know my own journey of, really trying to search for myself and seek my own truth and understanding of what is God? What Mm. is spirituality? What does this experience even mean? And coming full circle back to this moment and just sitting in awe Mm. and reverence of the experience. And it just brings a deep sense of gratitude and knowing it, you can't know. Yeah. That's the whole point. Exactly. But you have to, and this is the, the, the paradox of the universe we live in is you have to go take that first step to seek. Mm. And I think everybody, no matter who you are in your soul has a deep desire. There's a kernel somewhere in there to know God. Mm. And you have to take that first step for yourself to go on the journey to realize you're right back where you were knowing that you don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Most people have a, I think this is Nietzsche says most people have a God shape or a God-sized hole in their heart. (laughs) And a piece of this journey that's so important, and you can definitely become aware of your experience of God. Like that's Mm -hmm. an important distinction. You mean you're not going to get to know the entirety of what God is, but you get to be aware of your experience of that Mm -hmm. force. And that's really beautiful. And I think a lot of people have different ways of escapism, whether that's, you know, political or whether that's religion or whether that's their addictions that they it's all the stories that we create in our minds they seek to find different gods mm. and really like especially now with politics it you know you watch one thing and you're like oh wow it looks like they're worshiping at the altar of insert politician here oh that's their god because they haven't spent the time to investigate their own personal and again what you said is beautiful because personal experience of god Mm. I don't care about what someone tells me about what God is. I care about what my experientially had feeling about this is. And that's where religion got off track. And that's where I believe shamanism and the different plant medicines have so much to teach is they're experiential. Mm -hmm. It's not, let me tell you what God is. It's go see. Yeah. And when you go on that journey and you, you end up developing that relationship, that personal relationship through an experience mm-hmm. of whatever it is. And if it's mm-hmm. sitting in the pew at church and you have that experience mm-hmm. of God and there's For a personal sure. relationship connection, Beautiful. there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But it's when you're being told by somebody else, mm-hmm. what your experience should be when it creates this, you know, the, the, this uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And when you start developing that personal relationship, it becomes such a deep knowing that I can sit here and have a conversation with you about this. I can have a conversation with somebody that has such a narrow mind on reality mm-hmm. and not be affected by it because I am in my knowing mm-hmm. and I can't project that onto you. Yeah. You have to go find your own experience and your own knowing yeah. by living life. And always leaving the door open. I always say that, 
you know, everything's a chance. There's a percentage attached to it, shall we say. So, you know, I always keep the door open for that 0.001% chance of like, maybe there is no God. Maybe Mm. we're just fucking existing. And like some weird shit is going on that we can't even understand. Like, I think it's important to have that sliver of openness because Mm -hmm. that's a it's how you relate to someone so if i'm speaking to someone who's like devoutly atheist the fact that i have that door like a little bit open means i'll actually hear them i'll listen you have to inherently be a little bit skeptical about everything Mm -hmm. in order to be open to everything exactly and that's that's the way i try to approach my own life even with my own experiences in the psychedelic space i always try to like almost give myself a little shit and go is that really true alex or is that what you want to be true Hmm. Okay. Let's look at that experience again with a more critical lens because it can be easy to wrap ourselves up in our own stories of what we would like to be true because it serves us. It serves the person we've built. It serves our ego. And I just, I like to remind myself to keep that door just a little bit open for whatever it is. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important to discuss this topic as well is because, you know, we're talking about waking up and, and plant medicines. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, people that, that wake up or they go on a, a, a spiritual journey or they experience plant medicines, they, they all of a sudden feel this need that they know mm-hmm. and they this kind of savior complex, <laughs> Evangelist. right? Evangelist. They start projecting like, I know, like they start talking about past lives as if they're certain, mm-hmm. right? And I love the way you talked about it. It's like, is it a past life or is it an archetypal energy that's showing up in mm-hmm. my consciousness to teach me a story? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with like the story of Jesus. Yeah. Like whether he actually lived on this planet in 3D reality mm-hmm. or he's an archetypical energy that is present in our unconscious and our consciousness now mm-hmm. and is such an integral part of our reality. Does it really matter? Yeah. And so I'd love to, to kind of talk about and get your perspective on, you know, the people that do do this work and then they become almost, you know, narcissist, spiritually narcissistic mm-hmm. and they start projecting and become like, you know, the savior and they need to save and wake people up. Mm. Yeah. So I think first is identifying where it is within myself. So within me, the part of me that wants to do that is the part of me that wants to be sure. It's the part of me that craves certainty. So as humans, we do this in myriad ways. My favorites are, I have a strong mind as Santiago, my shaman in Ecuador, so beautifully put to me, he goes, strong mind, strong story. Go, fuck, received, fair enough. So for me, the way that manifests is wanting to create this very clear, I know what's going on story and narrative in my life. I'm like, yep, that's over there. This is over here. I know that that's that. This is the best way to work with psychedelics. I know for a fact that that one's not useful. And I know that this one is better than that one. So that's, you know, within myself, that's where I see it is that craving of certainty. Because when I become sure, it allows me to filter out a lot of other things I don't have to look at anymore. Because it It takes a lot of energy as a human to be uncertain, Mm. to be in that beginner's mind is very energy consuming. That's why babies sleep 12 hours a day, 16 hours a day. They are constantly taking in the full spectrum of possibilities of everything that's around them and patterning Mm. that in. So it's energetically very taxing. Mm. So as humans, we want certainty. So when you're in certainty, you're closing the door to these other possibilities and you're kind of ruling them out. Where I see that happen in the spiritual community is people want to be certain that the experience they had was exactly what it was. And so they'll literally, they'll interpret everything that happens literally. Mm. And that's one of the biggest pitfalls I see is like, well, no, I was, 
I saw myself and I was beneath a tree and then this, you know, and then I got hung from the tree and I died. So that means I had a past life as, you know, a slave or as something, you know, that died in that way. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, maybe, but first, and the way I apply to my own journeys is I, I investigate first through the lens of where in my life is this energy? Do I feel restricted in my ability to speak? Mm. Do I feel restricted in my ability to truly express without fearing persecution? Do I feel that I am doing this to myself in some way? So that lens of analysis should always be pointed first in instead of like external. And then just the, the fear or the thing that I am watchful of is that you know, past life stories or stories of encounters with other beings serve one of, you know, if humans have a couple of huge needs, another one's for specialness. Mm. So you get your certainty and your specialness all in one potent combo. And you saw it visionary Mm. space, like, Oh, this is the best. So not only am I sure, but also now I'm special Mm. because Joe, did you know that in a past life I was a Pharaoh? Mm. Like, did you know? I mean, I'm super not a pharaoh now in this life, but don't worry about that. <laughs> Last time, I was fucking balling. Mm. So it's like the ego slips back in and very quickly starts to tell us a story about what we experienced and how it may be an experience that is showing us that we are special. Mm. Just be watchful of that. It's <laughs> so important, right? The curiosity and, and constantly questioning everything. Like, it's, it isn't, there is no destination. You don't get to a point where all of a sudden you're like, I know, because mm-hmm. we just talked about you can't know. Mm-hmm. And so it's living in that space of unknown. And when you can get to that space and there's going to, there's going to be continuing stories to pop up because the ego needs to make sense of this reality to even have an experience. Mm-hmm. So as those stories come up, you have to be able to just question all of them. And that's why the onion I like to talk about is infinite. Mm-hmm. It's literally infinite because as soon as you start uncovering stories and moving, there's new ones that come up and there's stories that we don't even think are stories because we think mm-hmm. they're so concrete, yeah. you know? And so continuing to go layers deeper and when you can continue to question everything and come back into the present moment, it allows you to hold space fully for others and their experience. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, Oh, that could be true. Yeah. And you just, you talk to them about it exactly. and you allow them to like, you get curious with their story. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, like that's cool. Like, how do you, like, how do you know that? Or yeah. like, where did that come from? Or, yeah, and exactly. honor their experience. Well, that's the, that's the getting to live in interconnectedness with other people's stories. The example I like to use is like, when you go drive your car after this and you're on the road and you're staying within the lines that are painted on the road and you go up to the stop sign that is a certain shape, a a certain size, a certain color. These are stories that someone else created that Mm. you are living within Mm -hmm. at all times. And our society is hyper complicated in this way. This room that we're sitting in is designed in such a way that facilitates us sitting face to face. So that's me living in your story just in this moment that's allowing us to have this conversation. So our stories go out and they interact with other stories. And a part of the important piece is for us to become aware of the stories that we're living in. And this is why I think people also find uh, nature so soothing is because nature is often, it's its own story, of course, but it's the lack of consciously chosen story that forces you into a box. Mm. Whereas if you live in a city, 
you're constantly living in this box. Yeah. And you're, you're around other people's stories constantly, just constantly. bombarding you. It'd be exhausting. So the invitation there is just to spend some time in nature and get to I love put that, that to the side for a little while. Yeah. There's a, I mean, even in just this 3D reality that we're living right now, there's billions of people on the planet. There's literally infinite number of experiences and stories mm-hmm. happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I keep referring back to that that first ceremony of mm-hmm. ayahuasca. I was in infinite potential and I had this, this deep realization because one of my intentions going into that ceremony was, you know, what's what's going on with the collective? All mm-hmm. the fear that mm-hmm. we're in, all the chaos, like what happens? And I just kind of like wanted to, understand what I could do and, and what's really happening. Mm. And when I was kind of dissolving into an infinite potential, I realized that, wow, the internet is the physical manifestation of consciousness. Mm-hmm. It literally is infinite. Mm. We can't even comprehend what it is even yeah. is. We have access to infinite amount of information, infinite number of stories mm-hmm. at our fingertips. And I think what's happening is if you don't create proper boundaries mm. and you go into the internet, the infinite potential of consciousness, like mm. I was dancing in that ayahuasca ceremony, mm. you can attach to these different narratives and these different stories that are not yours yeah. and get lost in them. Absolutely. And all of those stories go on for infinity. Mm. Every journey you go on, every path you take, every step you take towards your desire to know God, mm. all go on for inf- infinite potential in infinite ways away from self. Yeah. And what we need to do is come back to ourselves Mm. and know who we are Mm. and have our own personal experience and understand our own truth. And we can't do that by getting lost in all the other stories. And that's really challenging with everything that's going on. You know, people talk about, you know, what's going on in the world and they're like, well, how can you just turn a blind eye? And it's like, I, I, you know, control my controllables. What Mm -hmm. can I control in this moment? What is real for me in this moment? And even thinking like, I know some people might think I'm crazy because this is kind of like a out there concept, mm. but if I never watch the news, I never really followed any like the government or anything, like mm. it, does it even really exist? Mm. Like right now, me right. and you are talking in this very moment, do all those stories really even exist? Mm-hmm. No. Right. And the, they only exist because we give them meaning. Yes. And we need meaning in life. And that's why it's, Going back to like having the experience and feeling special, it's because mm-hmm. the ego wants to feel like it is something mm-hmm. because it realized that it is nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's the beautiful paradox that we live in. It is. It's so, uh, it's such a beautiful metaphor or, you know, literal framework of understanding the internet because you do see it and you see people fall into it. And as they fall into it, they fall away from self. And, mm-hmm. you know, that beautiful invitation that you gave is like, you know, for me, I know if I read the 50th Trump or Biden headline of the day and then I go in to facilitate ceremony, I'm not going to be at my best. So is it upgrading my ability to serve in the way that I am here to serve? No. Okay, so then what am I doing? And for each person having that discernment of tuning into yourself, becoming aware of you first so that you know what your unique job on this planet is here, that is your path to specialness. Mm. Now, the part that's difficult is often that path takes longer than we want. It's more difficult than we want. It requires sacrificing an idea of what society has told us is special to be Mm. actually special in our own way. And when we can give that up, though, and tune in, we have our own path to specialness within And then it's a little bit easier to tune that other stuff out because this stuff, when I look at it, I go, does this impact me? 
And the answer is almost always no, mm. almost always. And when the answer is yes, second question, is there something I can and should be doing about this right now? Mm. Again, almost always the answer is no. So why the fuck am I worrying about it? Because mm. I'm impacting my ability to make a shift in the way that I am supposed to make my shift. And if everyone was just worrying about the shift that they were supposed to make and doing that fully, the problems wouldn't be there. Mm, 100%. So. And that's where the, then we talk about doing the work. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's where the work lies. Exactly. And that's where the, what waking up means. Mm. It's continuing to look at ourselves and question the stories. Yeah. Man, this conversation has been amazing. Mm-hmm. I ask all of my guests, and this might take us on a whole nother 30-minute mm-hmm. um, thing, mm-hmm. but wrapping up soon, yeah. uh, what do you think happens when we die? Mm. The big the big question mark, the, big, the biggest unknown, right? We talked about a lot in this conversation, the fear of the unknown is really what holds people back, keeps them comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think this ultimate unknown of what happens when we die is the ultimate fear, which I think a lot of our problems in our society and our culture and our religions is all stemmed from this fear of death. Mm. And it's fascinating how taboo it is in our culture to even talk about it. It's, you know, I know there's places in like India I've read about where like if someone dies in the house, they like parade them through Mm. the streets and honor them. Mm -hmm. But it's fascinating. I've lived for 32 years and I've, I've made, I don't think I've seen a dead body. Mm. It's just so hidden Mm. from our lives. Mm. So we don't ever think about it. And I truly believe that until you can really confront the impermanence of this life, you can't truly fully Mm. live to your fullest potential. Yeah. So beyond the answer of, I don't know, which always, (laughs) (laughs) you're so wise. That's the wisest (laughs) thing anybody can say. But what do you think? Yeah, (laughs) for sure. So my feeling, and I'll give a, a, a real example, well, real to me, example of why I believe this. So I was in ayahuasca ceremony and in this ayahuasca ceremony, a presence came to me and I was curious about the presence. And I was like, what is this presence? And the presence was decidedly female. And it was like, it's me. And I'm like, well, who's me? And it's like, it's the little sister that would have been between you and my younger brother, Eric, who is four years younger, she's like, I would have been in between the two of you, but I was a miscarriage. And so I didn't get the chance to be born. And I was like, wow, I'm so sorry. You didn't get the chance to be born. That sucks. She's like, no, are you kidding? I get to be up here looking over you. Mm. And I was just like, oh. and I just like melted in that moment. I felt so warm and received and just like guarded. And, you know, I never really talked to my mom about if she had had any miscarriages or anything. And so just recently I was talking to her and it, you know, it became the right opportunity. You don't want to project something like that onto someone and be like, here's what I saw. Is it true? Mm-hmm. Cause that's a very rude energetic thing to do to someone. But there became a conversation where it became present. that This was what was being talked about. And she revealed to me that in between me and my younger brother, she had had a miscarriage exactly two years in between us. And then it was supposed to be a little girl and that little girl's name was supposed to be Rosie. And so there was this full loop of, Oh, okay. It seems to me, it feels to me that there is somewhere that our souls are before and somewhere that they likely are after we have our physical embodied human space and that our soul coming into the body is a choice being made. And that if that body of that child doesn't make it all the way to term, 
that that is not the termination of the soul, but just the termination of that body. It's almost that soul choosing like, oh, okay, wasn't the right container another Mm. time. Or maybe I'm supposed to serve in the background here. So that's my feeling. There's a place, there's a vibration that we achieve that's less physical, more ethereal, and maybe even multiple octaves of that vibration all the way scaling back up to everything that is complete connection with God, total oneness. And that's the experience that kind of like drove that home for me. So, mm. Wow, that's so incredibly beautiful. And I really appreciate you sharing that. That resonates very deeply. And we don't know, but it's, uh, you know, that... I like to think of it in that way as well because it just brings me a lot more peace and it mm. seems more probable than not that that is the case. Mm. Um, yeah, wow, that's so beautiful, man. Mm. And I really appreciate this conversation has been absolutely epic. I really appreciate you taking the time to come join me and drop in. Uh, I do want to give you an opportunity to share where people might be able to connect with you, mm. find you, any socials, websites. And I know you are a coach and you offer... Uh, different packages so go ahead and plug that awesome well best places to find me first and foremost on my website which is www.throughtheveil.co through the veil no m co no m no m drop the m don't believe in that drop the stories of a fake letter fake news um (laughs) the other places you can find me instagram at alexander diesel is a great place to find me and post a lot of content on there Um, My podcast is also named Through the Veil and I have people on there and talk about things like consciousness and psychedelics and all that jazz. Um, Those are probably the main places to find me and connect with me. You can look for coaching on my website. The three different types that I do are just basic one-on-one life coaching, relationship coaching, and then psychedelic integration and or preparation, which is a really good way if you want to before a psychedelic experience, really learn how to prepare properly, hone your intention, get really clear on what you're asking for, or vice versa. If after the experience, things aren't clear, you don't know what your action step is. You're trying to develop the plan for what to do. I can be of great help in those areas. So you can book all that on my website. Yes. And I'll definitely vouch for that. Uh, that will all be in the show notes. So check, uh, check it out. And, you know, if you were listening to this conversation and you're interested in getting into psychedelics and where to start, you know, Alex is definitely a great resource to reach out to. So make sure you do that. And man, I'm deeply grateful for this conversation. I know it's going to have a big impact on those that listen. And thank you for being open and vulnerable, sharing some of your, you know, deeper stories and adding value. Mm. Thank you for having me on, brother. I appreciate all that you are, all that you do. I love you deeply. And thank you for being you. Love you too, man. All right. Thanks to Alex. Deep gratitude for that man. His energy is just so clean, so pure. His presence is so grounding to me. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know I got a lot out of it. Um, He is truly a wise soul showing up and doing the work and his ability to hold space is incredible. If you're interested in learning more from him or uh, are interested in psychedelics, I would literally, out of everybody I know, he is probably the one person I would refer you to. So reach out to him. All of uh, his contact information is in the show notes. Um, Let him know that you listen to him on the podcast and you want to kind of dive deeper into some of the concepts we discussed and maybe he can help hold space for you on your own journey or just share some knowledge about you know the psychedelic journey integration proper tools and practices 
um, and help you navigate that space. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please review it, rate it, and uh, share it with your friends. And as always, so deeply grateful for all of you, for all the support, all the love. Um, it is felt deeply. And we're here. Let's make a difference. All right. Love you all. Peace.